Hello, welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host, Evan Brand. Thanks so much for joining me. I've got a few, oh man, I'm really excited because I'm, I've am i got a few episodes. I've been hustling hard over the summer and I've got actually a, a good a storage bank, if you will, of amazing episodes. So many that I'm almost like, oh my God, which one do I put out? Because I think they're all really good. So what's the point of me telling you that? I don't know. I'm just happy. I've got, I've got a handful of stuff that that I'm going to continue to be putting out to you. So today, I'm a little disappointed because the audio quality of this episode is not as amazing as the audio you're hearing me right now. This like in-studio sound, it's just, ah, I'm a little bit anal about that. I want it to sound really good. Justin and I have found a way to make the studio quality really amazing, but this particular day, something happened with the software, so we just had to do the standard like streaming audio quality so most people probably don't even care, and my audio quality is still better than most people out there. But for me, I'm like, ah, I grit my teeth a little bit. I'm like, dang it, because it was a good podcast, but the audio was a little less good. So I apologize in advance. You'll still enjoy it. We're talking about H. pylori. H. pylori is something that I had. It was one of the biggest health breakthroughs for me. You know, I've been through a lot over the last decade working on myself using herbs, functional medicine, lab testing, diagnostics, blood samples, and binders and minerals and chlorellas and all sorts of crazy stuff I've been doing, saunas and float tanks and psychedelics. I mean, I, I've, I've done everything there is out there to improve my health and brain function and sleep and all that. And so finding out that I had an H. pylori infection and successfully eradicating that infection along with multiple parasites I had, bacterial overgrowth, candida overgrowth I had, fixing all that stuff was a game changer. I got maybe... 90% better. I always say I got 80% better just by diet and lifestyle. And then I got another 10% better. It's hard to rate these things because when I think back, I got way more than 10% better fixing my gut. So maybe diet made me 50% better. Maybe fixing my gut with these infections made me 40% better. So then that left another 10%. But no, I've got way better fixing mold now and getting rid of my cavitations, which are infections in my jawbone. So I don't know. I need to have like a bigger pie chart, I guess. But anyway, H. pylori was huge for me, and I'm sure it's huge for you if you have it and you don't know it. So I often find that children, even my daughter, when she was two years old, we tested her, and she showed positive for H. pylori, and I gave her an herbal protocol in liquid form because young kids who can't take pills still need help. So we made an herbal liquid protocol for her, and we retested her, and we successfully eradicated her H. pylori infection. So I find that many pediatricians annoy me because you get these one, two, three, four, five-year-old beautiful children and you put them on proton pump inhibitors. These are the Zantac and Prilosec and these acid-blocking medications because the children are exhibiting colicky-type behavior. They're spitting up. They're having skin rashes and food sensitivities and diaper rashes and other things. And so the parents are confused. Often it's an issue with mom's diet. If mom is eating gluten, dairy, soy, corn, egg, peanuts, often the diet needs to be cleaned up if the mother's still breastfeeding these children because those are often huge triggers for the kids' issues. But if the parents don't fix that, then they won't get better. But secondly, putting these kids on acid-blocking drugs is just not the answer. It's ridiculous. But when you lower your stomach acid using these acid-blocking drugs, you're doing the same exact thing that H. pylori does. And H. pylori is this bacteria that we're about to talk about, and it reduces stomach acid. 
And so then you've got all this food that rots and putrefies in your gut. You then get other bacterial overgrowth. Then you get yeast overgrowth because the yeast is feeding on the undigested sugars from the from the diet or the proteins or the fats, carbohydrates, etc. So then you get this excess fermentation. So then you may get a diagnosis in you or your children like SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. And conventional treatment for that is terrible. You'll get pumped full of antibiotics, often two, three, four antibiotics at the same time. It's just not a pretty picture. So there's a huge role for conventional medicine, MRIs, CAT scans, CT scans, ultrasounds, uh, blood diagnostics. You know, there's a, a ton of really, really beneficial things that exist, and I'm glad those things do exist. We absolutely need those types of procedures and diagnostics to help people, and they've saved countless lives. But to jump and throw a kid on an acid blocker at age two should be a crime. It's just wrong. And there's so many better solutions. And I've implemented so many of those solutions. We've got a podcast coming out real soon with a client of mine, a mother who um, her whole family works with me now. And we've seen incredible results with her child who was diagnosed with autism a few years ago. And now he's to the point, I can't legally diagnose or undiagnose, but based on the diagnostics and some of the labs, we cannot say that this kid is autistic anymore. So that's by fixing the gut and improving toxic loads and all that. So more, more on that probably in a few episodes. But w- without further ado, without further rambling, let's dive into this episode with Dr. Justin and I as we speak about H. pylori. If you do want to reach out, I work with people around the world. Please don't hesitate. Don't be suffering and guessing and building a supplement graveyard. Just stop doing that. I can help you. I'll save you money in the long run, I promise. You can reach out at my website, evanbrand.com. And make sure you're subscribed to my podcast. If you're just listening to like a one-off episode, make sure on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, whatever, make sure you actually hit the subscribe button so you are subscribed and you'll get my episodes as soon as they come out. All right, enjoy. Well, we talked about today, we're going to be chatting about H. pylori and H. pylori infections. This is a topic that we see weekly in our office with patients coming in with gut issues or poor digestion, and even patients that don't even have gut or digestive issues that have just strictly mood and energy issues. H. pylori is a, anywhere between 20 to 50% of the population could have this infection, and I see it a lot in my clinic. Yeah, I would rate this as one of the top five roadblocks to achieving optimal health. You know, you and I will zoom in and focus on maybe smaller, more nuanced topics, but to me, this is like one of the biggest roadblocks there is, mainly because of the mechanism that H. pylori is doing on the body, which is reducing your ability to produce stomach acid. 100%. So H. pylori is a bacterial infection. H stands for helico. So it's like a helix shape and they can kind of like burrow and turn and twist in to that gut lining. It can create inflammation. And there are virulence factors that we look at. The big ones are going to be CAGA and and VACA. These are cytotoxic proteins that are being produced by H. pylori, by the bacterial infection. And it can create more inflammation, it's a good sign that the H. pylori is stronger, right? It's a big player. It's going to be creating a lot more problems. I do see patients still have issues that don't have these virulence factors, but if we see them, it's a good idea that we want to clear them out by knocking out the infection. And it's, for me, it just kind of like puts the infection at a higher level in priority in the treatment protocol. Worst case scenario with H. pylori and those virulence factors, you can develop gastric ulcers, you can develop gastric cancer, you can have major damage to your esophagus. So this stuff can get pretty nasty. And we've seen cases like that 
where someone comes to us where they've already had an ulcer diagnosis by doing like a barium x-ray where you drink a terrible chalky drink, they do an x-ray on you and they can visualize the ulcers. And then the gastro doc in that case, generally, they're just going to put you on acid blocking medication. So I think maybe we should spend just a minute here talking about conventional treatment for this stuff. It's not very pretty. Triple or quadruple therapy is often used, which is three or four antibiotics used at the same time. Now, we know that that doesn't work, number one, because the CDC admitted that antibiotic resistance is happening. But number two, you and I measure antibiotic resistance on our stool testing. And we find a lot of positives, which would indicate, hey, if you take this antibiotic, you throw it down the hatch, you try to treat the H. pylori with it, it won't work. Yeah, I see that a lot as well. I also see a lot of the antibiotic resistance even clear after herbal treatments. Do you see that at all? I do too. And I've always been interested in that. And people ask me and I don't ever have a good answer of why. Yeah, I'll have to call the lab about that and figure out why that is. But I think I I know the answer. So if we clear the H. pylori, maybe they can't test the resistance of the antibiotic towards it because the actual bacteria that that showed positive. Too low. Yeah. And that very well could be, meaning you need enough of that bacteria there to actually test the resistance against the other antibiotics. Now that it's low enough, we don't have enough of that sample. It's possible. I think that's a plausible theory, but we see H. pylori frequently. Now, we've been testing a lot via DNA, and that's a good way to test. Uh, the, the PCR, the polymerase chain reaction testing, is the newer DNA technology to assess the infection. It's about two to 3,000 times more sensitive than the previous gold standard, which was the antigen testing. So antigen means it's the foreign, it's a piece of the H. pylori. They use a specific stain and they visualize it under a microscope. That was yeah. kind of the old type of testing. Well, remember about five years ago, you and I were just starting to get into the DNA PCR testing, but we were still using the old antigen testing where it took three days of stool samples. Do you remember that? Yeah, I remember that. So there was- and- it would test negative and then we'd have the DNA and we'd see positive and then we'd look at symptoms and we'd say, wow. So now, I mean, you tell me if you, if you're doing it differently, but I believe you and I both have ditched doing the antigen based testing pretty much completely. Cause we used to run both because we were not sure which one was more accurate. Now we know the DNA is much better. Yes, exactly. So the DNA is great. Um, I will still every now and then, if someone is like, I think they have an H. pylori infection, but they're not coming back up. Every now and then I will order a blood test where we'll look at IgG, IgA, IgM to get a window into acute infections or chronic infections, right? IgA, IgM is more acute. IgG is more chronic. It's possible that you had exposure to H. pylori, it's cleared and the IgG is still positive. So you don't ever want to treat based off of the IgG blood test for the H. pylori anyway. And then there are breath tests. So breath tests essentially work by testing an elevation in CO2. So essentially um, you have, and I think they also may assess urea as well. So you have ammonia or you have uh, protein in your tummy and that protein breaks down into urea. And when you have the urease that's elevated from H. pylori, that urease can cause that urea to break down into ammonia and CO2. And so you're getting a lot of that CO2 that's coming back positive as a indirect indication that H. pylori is active in the gut. So it's that increase in CO2 that's giving you that indirect measurement that H. pylori is there. Yeah. So one of the questions that we get from people is, well, hey, I tested positive on this stool test. Now you gave me this herbal protocol to address this infection. 
can we just do a breath test because it's cheaper or my doctor is going to run the breath test for me? Can't we just do that to prove that we got rid of it? Right. So typically you always want to compare apples to apples. So if we ran, let's say a genetic stool test and we came back with H. pylori, we'd always want to compare apples to apples. We want to compare it to the other test to assess the, um, to assess the veracity. So you, if you came back with the GI map positive, we want to retest on the GI map. Now you could throw in the breath on top of it if you want to, but I wouldn't try to replace breath or blood you know, I wouldn't try to use those to replace a stool panel. We still find the stool is most accurate. And also too, you know, when you're looking at somebody's gut, it's very rare to see H. pylori by itself. Why don't we discuss that? I mean, if we look at right now, it's on page two of the stool test. That's where we see all these H. pylori markers. We'll look at the beneficial bacteria, which are often low, but that's not all. I mean, usually there's a handful of other things like candida overgrowth that happens as kind of a, I would consider maybe a secondary issue that happened due to the primary H. pylori infection. Oh, totally. 100%. So just kind of looking at the breath test, they are assessing urea. But the big thing that does come up is carbon dioxide does come as a byproduct. So just to be clear, they are looking at a lot of the urea and that, that's a lot of the protein breakdown because H. pylori does have that enzyme urease. So just kind of giving you an update of kind of what that breath test is looking at. So we have, we have our genetic stool test that we like and that can also assess and look at the virulence factors and they can also look at the antibiotic resistance. Okay, the big antibiotics are typically going to be a combination of triple or quadruple therapy. Usually it's going to be clarithromycin, amoxicillin, Prilosec or a PPI and or bismuth. And sometimes they'll throw in tetracycline or doxycycline to pull those other antibiotics out. So that's kind of the general triple slash quadruple therapy. And then on the herbs, we may use other things like berberines or golden seal or clove or mastic gum or higher dose oil of oregano, or even probiotic species can be very helpful at knocking down H. pylori. So there's a lot of things that we may use to help knock down that H. pylori. I want to talk more about like co-infections that come with this. Yeah. So bacterial overgrowth, you know, we'll talk about gut inflammation, permeation of the gut barrier. But first, why don't we talk about symptoms? Because people may be hearing H. pylori and all this talk and they're like, okay, well, how the heck do you know besides testing that you have it? You mentioned some people may not show many symptoms at all, but they still have a very high level of it. But most people that come to us, they're symptomatic, right? They're not just reaching out just for fun. They're reaching out because they're symptomatic. So um, I would see, I would say weight loss or weight gain. In my case, I lost a bunch of weight with H. pylori. I just wasn't digesting my proteins very well. And so I lost muscle mass. I would say bloating, heartburn, uh, gas, burping. Yeah. Um, bad breath is pretty common. Your breath gets bad because your food's rotting and putrefying in the gut. Your nails, my nails develop vertical ridges. Mm -hmm. Like my nails became more weak and had ridges because of my malabsorption. Uh, what else would you say symptom-wise? Can you talk a little closer to the mic? Yes. So your, your audio yeah, right did there. the same thing. Your audio did the same thing. It sounded like you were really far away, but you weren't. I think Zoom okay. was doing something. Okay. All right, got it. We'll just keep it really close then. Perfect. All right. So in general, yeah. So the low hanging fruit with H. pylori is going to be getting enough stomach acid. Hydrochloric acid is super, super important when it comes to H. pylori. Now it's a double edged sword with H. pylori because with H. pylori, your gut lining could be a lot thinner. It could be a lot more inflamed due, due to its inflammation. So hydrochloric acids, like it's like trying to get a massage for your back pain or an adjustment for your back pain when you have a sunburn. 
Like you may need it. It may be the right thing, but it may be too much for the amount of inflammation that's present in your body. So we, it's really important that you work with a clinician to have this kind of dialed in. So we may come in with very low dose on hydrochloric acid or maybe even not. Maybe just use some gentle bitters or enzymes to support the digestive process and then assess how much inflammation, make sure there's no bleeding, make sure we add in things to kind of cool off the gut before we do anything on the acidic side. And everyone's a little bit different, so it just depends. I'm always erring on the side of talking to the general public in doing things that aren't going to set you up for more pain or more inflammation, and then work with a clinician that can help individualize things as you start to stabilize. Nausea is another symptom I forgot to mention. Yeah. What about you? Do you have any other symptoms? I mentioned the gas, bloating, burping. Yeah, so your gas, your bloating, your constipation, your diarrhea, anytime enzymes or acids are affected, motility can be affected. And then, of course, you have, there's a couple of studies out there saying, hey, look at these symptoms of H. pylori. They have nothing to do with digestive symptoms. These are mood issues, depression, anxiety, cognitive issues. So you can have a lot of issues that aren't H. pylori driven, and they can be mood and emotional and cognitive stuff. And this is hard because people are kind of like indoctrinated to think, oh, I have to have acid burning. I have to have stomach pain. I have to have an ulcer for H. pylori to be a problem. And you may not have no symptoms at all connected to digestion. Yeah, absolutely. I had depression. I had anxiety. I had panic episodes. Right. I mean, I was a wreck when I had H. pylori. So I can agree and attest to the fact that, yes, there probably are some right. cognitive, psycho, emotional stuff involved. And, you know, you're your counselor is not going to tell you to go get a stool test for your depression. Exactly. Yep. And that's an important part. And why does this happen? What's the mechanism? Well, the mechanism is pretty simple. I think if we don't have enough hydrochloric acid, if we don't have enough digestive support, we have to break down these amino acids, right? So think of like a necklace you're wearing. Think of that as protein, right? If we were to break each pearl off of that necklace, those are amino acids. And essentially digestive wise, we have to break those little pearls up so we can utilize, assimilate, and absorb them. And then, of course, in our body, they get converted into a lot of our neurochemicals. Serotonin is going to be tryptophan or 5-HTP. Tyrosine will get converted to dopamine and, and adrenaline and norepinephrine. And then you're going to have some of these amino acids convert to GABA, which will help you relax and wind down. So we have to essentially take this necklace and break each individual pearl off so we can digest it, absorb and assimilate. Yep. Well said. All right. So let's go back to the point I mentioned earlier. So the co-infections, like what else happens with H. pylori? We often see candida overgrowth happening. We often see bacterial overgrowth happening. So at that point, maybe more GI symptoms will come on board and it may not be the H. pylori directly. It may be, you know, Pseudomonas or Streptococcus or Klebsiella, some of these other bad guys. And then we know too that all this undigested food has collateral damage on the gut barrier, right? So we're going to see the secretory IgA go low, and then we know someone has a leaky gut situation. Now, what about zonulin? Do you test zonulin? I don't because I just haven't found it worth the extra expense for people. But some people just beg and plead that they want zonulin tested. Yeah, there's some data on it. I mean, most of the data is kind of circular. It comes from Alessio Fasano over at Harvard. But there's some good data that that's, gonna, that's the number one protein for gut permeability. So if I see a lot of autoimmune people, I will definitely run it just to assess how permeable the gut is. So zonulin is this protein. When it's elevated, it means the tight junctions are kind of getting unzipped in your gut and the epithelial lining. And then the more permeable your gut is, 
the more bacteria and infectious debris and or foods that aren't broken down fully can get into your bloodstream and create an immune response and create more inflammation because your, your, your immune system is not used to seeing all these foods not broken down in the bloodstream. So that creates a lot of immune stress. So it's nice to have that. I'll look at it more with patients that are, have a lot of autoimmune stuff going on just to assess if treatment brings it down. But again, it's not causation for me. That's more correlation. Hey, does, does this improve as we do these things over here to get rid of inflammation or digest foods or get rid of other infections? So it's kind of a corollary marker for me. Makes sense. I mean, I just generally look at the low secretory IgA and you yeah. could say based on that, Hey, you know, probably a leaky gut situation going yeah. on. Yeah. 100%. So looking at the H pylori, right? Today's podcast is on H pylori. It's going to be affecting the digestion of protein. It's going to affect the lowering of that pH in the gut. That nice low pH does three things. It one, it makes it harder for bacteria to grow. Think of nice low pH as like bleach on a dirty picnic table. It kind of cleans things up and sterilizes things. Bacteria hates acidic environments to grow. It likes actually alkaline environments. Number two, it gets enzymes activated. So those nice active enzymes are pH sensitive. So if we drop down that nice pH, these enzymes, pepsinogen turns to pepsin. We get these nice proteolytic enzymes going. And then all that food that's all kind of mushed up, that's called chyme. All right, that gets emptied into the small intestine and that nice low pH triggers a whole bunch of bicarbonate from the pancreas, a whole bunch of enzymes, proteolytic enzymes, lipolytic enzymes, that means protein and fat digesting enzymes. And it's also gonna trigger that gallbladder to produce a whole bunch of bile, which will help you digest fat as well. So three things, right? It's creating an environment that's harder for bad critters to grow. It's activating enzymes, right? And it's activating a lot of our proteolytic uh, portions and as well as getting the pancreas and the gallbladder involved. So really important. Yeah, and the whole domino effect has to happen with enough HCL, which you can't make if you have that infection. And we find 80 plus percent of partners share H pylori too. So this is why sometimes we have to get the husband or the wife or even the kids involved too, because if someone gets better and then two to three months later, symptoms come back or issues return, then we know it's probably just a case of a reinfection. Yeah, it's really important to make sure infections are not being passed around in the house because you can treat the wife and then next month that infection can reoccur because the husband's passing it back and forth. So you really wanna make sure that you are on top of that to prevent that hot potatoing effect back and forth. And we talked about earlier, infections can easily be passed from the kids to the parents as well. I mean, these infections don't have to be passed in a sexual manner, just sharing a cup or sharing silverware could be enough to reinfect someone. Again, some of these infections, like a lot of parasites, are more fecal-oral, so there may be more intimacy there unless someone's just not washing their hands. But with kids and H. pylori, saliva is enough, so sharing that silverware cups could be enough to pass that back and forth, so you really wanna keep an eye on that. And again, these infections will weaken your immune system. So as you weaken, as your immune system gets weaker, then now that's opened you up to other types of infection like blasto or giardia or other types of bacterial or parasitic infections. So as that immune system becomes compromised, it opens the gates. It's kind of like leaving the door, uh, your front door unlocked, so to speak, and anyone can just walk in. So we really want to keep that in mind. 
Now, in general, we want a treatment plan that's gonna look at the root cause. How do we come here? What levels of stressors were occurring that allowed our immune system to be compromised and then allowed the H. pylori to come in? And we also wanna make sure that we're supporting the adrenals because the adrenals are important in helping to regulate inflammation and to help support the immune system. If we just go after an infection and there's weak adrenals going on, it reinfection may be a lot higher and a lot of the other symptoms like the mood issues, the energy issues, and the cognitive issues, we may have a harder time recovering because a lot of those issues are from inflammation in the brain and that chronic fight or flight response being activated. So if we can get the fight or flight response kind of curtailed and dampened, and we can have better energy just through healthier cortisol levels and keeping inflammation at bay, that can really make a huge difference in helping a full spectrum recovery occur. So today was a great podcast. If you guys want to head over to Evan's site, evanbrand.com, feel free and click over on some of his great content and information. He's available for consultation worldwide, and I am as well. So Dr. J at justinhealth.com. You can reach out, schedule a consult with me, and we can chat anywhere in the world. And if you guys have issues in regards to digestive issues, or maybe you have cognitive issues or, or mood issues or energy issues, and you want to know, is H. pylori part of that underlying root cause? This is something really important to cross off your list along with other types of gut infections. And we look for everything at the same time just to ensure that we're not missing anything. All right, you all have a phenomenal day and we will be back next week. Take care, bye. Okay, so you see how much more amazing the audio quality sounds? Justin had to put that clip over the end because something happened with his recorded audio. Anyway, long story short, that kind of studio quality that you're hearing, that is gonna be how both of our audios sound going forward. This is just the last or maybe the second to last episode where we were still working out some of the kinks and we had to use the lower quality streaming sound from the internet. So more audio quality improvements, but the content will still be just as good, if not better. As Justin mentioned, if you do want to reach out, please do. We look forward to helping you all. And I'll be talking with you again next week. So take care of yourself in the meantime. Bye-bye. He acts like it's all good, yeah, like everything's cool Kiss her girl the night and then he leaves her She doesn't have a clue that he's terrible clothes Why I'm in the tire, got to watch out, girl Don't wanna see her by her eyes out, girl Cause I've been watching, you've been hurting Let me be the one that loves you